Blog Talk Radio. Time with Pastor Steph. what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. For this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So, where were you yesterday? Ah, yesterday we were shaking the Monday morning blues with the D-Time crew. And uh, we started off talking about the... uh, teacher overdosed in front of the children in the classroom. Yes, we have Frank Thompson, 57, who was charged yesterday, well, not yesterday, but in our news story yesterday, he was charged with a controlled, dangerous substance, possession of drug paraphernalia, and endangering the welfare of a child when he overdosed, well, clearly he had to take drugs, right before he went into the classroom, right in front of the children. He just became unconscious and unresponsive. And, you know, this is what we have to offer our children today. The adults who are using, you know, all kinds of drugs. And and, and you're you're overdosing on fentanyl, of all things, you're lucky they didn't find you dead in front of the children on Sentinel. But our relationship conversation was quite was short because we just got stuck. We talked about the little things women do that men secretly love. And we started with asking for support. And um you know, Pastor Charlene always says, you know, she faints, you know, the damsel in distress, you know, she needs help. Oh, can you help me? You know, but, you know, I guess at the end of the day, the men do really, you know, appreciate the women asking for support. Uh, and here's where we got stuck. Texting him First, so, you know, 
we started off good, you know, with the texting him first and, you know, showing that, you know, you were thinking about him. But then we got stuck on. It's probably Pastor Kayle that turned this all into some kind of whirlwind of a conversation. You know, when the women get upset because once she texts him first, he doesn't text right back. Now, see, that wasn't where we were supposed to be focusing on. But, of course, you know, we always get into our interesting conversation. And uh, Pastor KL and Brother Al described, you know, how it goes down when we don't, you know, get a response. You know, uh, as soon as uh, reasonably, reasonably possible. Now, we're not saying that, you know, once we text first, we're expecting a text right back. You know, the, the, uh, the premise is I'm working, I'm busy, you know, I'm on the job, I can't respond right away. And, you know, they tried to make us seem unreasonable, like we really didn't understand that, you know, that's how it goes down, because we, too, get busy. But, you know, when you didn't cook all day, and we still have no response, then uh, the eyebrows start raising, and, you know, the other texts start coming in. You know, when we didn't say good morning at 9, and morning ended at 12, and then at 3, and then at 5, no, see, now you didn't went a little too far. So, needless to say, we're going to get this conversation started all over again, you know, the next opportunity we get, so we can get a little further down this list, so we can see. You know, it's exactly, you know, what the men say that they secretly love us to do. I'd really like to know because I haven't gone down the list. So I would really like to see what men are claiming they love. What? All right. Well, yesterday's switch tip with Shanti, give God a return on his investment. Now, you know of all people, Pastor Steph agrees that God invests in us uh, all the time, all the time. You know, he, he has to, you know, really show what he's made of, and the only way he can really do that is through us. So he's got to, you know, give us understanding. He's got to give us, you know, wisdom and he's got to give us knowledge, and he's got to, you know, help us become better citizens in this world, in his kingdom. And, you know, it's a shame to watch God put so much into people, and then it comes back empty. You know, when you are pressing your way to show man how much you appreciate what he does for you or she does for you. And, you know, that, that's, that's a hard thing to watch, especially when the person is jacked up. Yeah, 
when you have the need of an investment and God so graciously gives that to you, and again, the only thing you can see is trying to impress or trying to show man how grateful and how thankful you are, but yet God gets nothing. You know, God gets, well, you know, every time I get on, you know, get up and I put my feet on the floor, I say thank you. Ooh, it's great. I'm glad he don't deal with me like that. He just wakes up and says, uh, good morning, Stephanie. Nah, I'm going to need some things from God. And uh, when he gives it, I don't just owe him. I owe him my all. Yeah, that's how it goes down over here with Pastor Steph. I don't think we can hold back anything from the Lord. Whatever he gives us, we need to be ready to give it back. Remember the talent? The parable of the talent. I think Shanti's brought that up yesterday as well. Yeah, that's how it has to go down. God has got to get the proper return. We just can't let God invest in us and we're just looking around and migrating in this world, just eating up everything God is giving us. And then, you know, he, uh, that's all he gets. All he gets is a good old hearty thank you, God. But we don't obey anything he says. We we don't do what he wants us to do. We don't treat people the way he wants us to treat them. We don't, uh, we're not good stewards over our money, over our bodies. All that stuff matters. Yeah, it does. You know, so it's more than just saying thank you. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, I get into my thank you mode, it's like thank you is like so not enough that it just keeps coming out of my mouth over and over and over and over. Y- y'all know how that stuff gets. I start saying thank you, and I just don't stop. Because in my mind and in my spirit, I understand what it is to be able to get on a surgical table and get up again. Nothing extra, you know, that had to be done or anything, you know, surprise, you know, any surprise hits, you know, the doctor and he's, you know, scratching his head. No, I know about, you know, three children who are 37, 31, 32, 32, 37, 32, and 24. And they have been kept safe as many times as they have left my presence. I couldn't do anything for them but pray. But yet they returned home safe and sound. You know, so when God invests in you, you don't owe him just a return. You owe him a hearty return on his investment. Just to make sure he knows how grateful you are. How about that? Uh, I knew you would get it. I knew you would get it. Well, today is Let's Talk About a Tuesday Church Folk Day. And I think I've got some stuff to talk about that's going to be a little interesting. 
However, before we get there, I'm going to give you an opportunity to go get that healthy breakfast. Uh, go tell somebody that it's due time with Pastor Steph is on. And uh, make sure you go nowhere because we'll be right back. lung cancer typically does not cause symptoms. As the cancer grows, you may experience symptoms such as a cough that gets worse or does not go away, shortness of breath, chest pain, and wheezing. Other symptoms of lung cancer include coughing up blood, hoarseness, weight loss without trying, and frequent lung infections such as pneumonia. Other health problems may cause these symptoms. You should see your doctor if you have any symptoms you're concerned about. Good morning, and good morning again. Welcome back to It's Due Time with Pastor Steph. And it's Let's Talk About It Tuesday Church Folk Day. So we got a nice start to our week. And um, we're going to see if there's some things that we can talk about that um, will stimulate a good conversation. Hmm. So what are we going to talk about this morning? Let's see. Hmm. Wow, this is an interesting turn of events here. So you have this attorney, a uh, female attorney named Denise McLaughlin. And she once prosecuted domestic violence cases, um, you know, for a living. You know, that's what she did as the um, as an attorney. And uh, it says that Vanessa was a former assistant attorney for Hood County and served the office for over five years. And... Wow. Um, they say she helped us through some real trying times, you know, with uh, prosecuting um, individuals regarding this domestic violence um, area. Um, they say she primarily dealt with protective orders as well as justice of the peace counts, 
mental commitments, and several other responsibilities. And she was licensed to practice law in Texas since, since 2007. And, uh, you know, she's doing her thing in this area. Well, uh, Jeffrey McLaughlin, who's 58 years old, was arrested on first-degree murder charge in connection with the death of his wife. So here she is prosecuting domestic violence cases. Again, you know, she's the one who got the protective orders and all kind of things, and her husband is charged with killing her. Now, he looks a mess, y'all. He looks a mess. He looks like he could really be in some mental facility. But to think that this is your livelihood and you end up somehow missing the mark, you know? So, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, were there signs? You know what I'm saying? You know, because think about it. If she was um, the one who got protective orders, then there's certain things, certain dialogue and information that goes into paperwork that provides information as to why this protective order is needed. Um, you know, he was stalking me or... You know, he tried to kill me or he, you know, assaulted me. You know, um, they say justice of the peace um, courts. That means that, you know, you're still in that courtroom or courthouse digging up um, information to support why you need this document. What about the mental commitment that she was responsible for? You know, I'm sure when you're, you know, if you had to be responsible for helping to, for people to be committed into a mental facility, you had to come across some information as to how the person was acting, maybe some of the things the person was saying, and to think that somehow or another you would lose your own life to this type of behavior. And it's so sad. When I read it, I was like, wow. And I'm not, you know, like, I'm not saying it, you know, with like some ridicule. I'm just saying it's like, you know, how, wow. Wow. And it's really sad. Really sad. Because, you know, how many lives did she help to save and now she lost her own life. So I thought that was rather interesting when I saw um, that particular um, that particular article, that, that news article. And um, he looks like he needs to be committed. So I, I don't, and I don't, you know, you don't, it doesn't say anything about her knowing, her experiencing. It says nothing. 
So this this is why all of them, especially those three areas that she concentrated in, would be kind of like um, preparation, you know, or an open door or a sneak peek or however you want to say it to your own, you know, woes of of uh, domestic violence. Mm-mm-mm. Now, here's another... Here's another interesting uh, story. So you have this, this Texas man who breaks into his estranged wife's home and ultimately ends up killing her. And they're saying that this Ricardo Canones, 38 years old, He's being charged with the murder of, you know, his wife that he was separated from, Lindsay, who's 30, who was 31. And here's, here's the thing. Again, 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 here we go with this continued pattern of, you don't care nothing about the kids. So they, the, the police say that they received a call from 911 from a juvenile telling them that her dad had entered the house with a weapon and was holding um, them hostage. And when they did the research, they found out that it was the couple's 13-year-old daughter. And she said that it was her father who had entered the home and was wearing all black and a ski mask. And he woke her up when he shined the flashlight in her face. So he then dragged the wife from the bed and told the daughter to stay put while the woman told the daughter, the mother told the daughter, listen to your dad. She mouthed that. But she also then now called the police. And I guess that's how the daughter ended up calling the police. So she called 911. She then called her uncle. And uh, when he saw her and heard her on the phone, the father, he told her to call the uncle back and tell tell the uncle that she had made a mistake. Now, how in the world you going to call your uncle? Uncle, uh, Uncle, Uncle John, um, Dad just came in the house, and he's wearing all black, and, and I just called it uh, 911, and he's got a mask on, and he's dragging Mom um, away from the bed, and uh, you going to call Uncle John back and tell him it was a mistake? You know what? Well, that wasn't, again, that was no plan um, and they say that even, you know, he pointed the gun, the gun at the dog and threatened <laughs> to shoot the dog. Then she ended up watching the father tie up her mother with ropes. And then that's when she just jumped out the window herself. And, uh, that's the police ended up coming in. Before they could get in the house, he fired two shots and uh, killed her. So when they finally got in the house, 
you know, her mom was dead. Um, but he, the, the dad ended up being shot by um, an officer when he was running away. So, you know, again, you have all of this taking place. Um, you know, while the child is right there, it, it, it wasn't even like you came in the house, you, this was your plan, and then when you saw your daughter, you was like, nah, I'll do this some other time, or no, I got to make up another plan, or, you know, no, I can't let her know it was me. But you talked, okay, so here's my thing. What was the point of, <laughs> what was the point of putting on the all black ski mask for you to only let the daughter know who you were in the first place? Oh, goodness gracious. So now she's 13 years old, and this is how she's going to spend the rest of her life, knowing that her dad came in the house and did this to her mom and ended up killing mom. And these parents, this is what I don't understand. Stop saying you love these kids. There's no way in the world you love these kids. I said this week after week after week for the past few weeks. There's no way in the world you love these kids and you would actually let them know that you are just so heinous, disturbed, violent, hateful, that you would do this not only to their mom, but to anybody. I want my kids to know that that's what I'm capable of, killing somebody. But now, you know, you got your child growing up knowing that you killed the mother, well, he's going to jail because he wasn't murdered. He wasn't killed, you know, when, when he got shot by the cop. And uh, he's going to have to face jail. Well, you know, it's, it's, this, this, is, this, is, this seems to be the pattern of the world. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, what we're doing in 2023. Well, I hope we're praying for our children more because these poor kids, they don't stand a chance. And I've always said, everybody's worrying about what the teachers are doing. Everybody's worrying about what uh, the coaches do and the trainers and all that kind of stuff. These kids can't get away from their parents. Oh. Well, here's a story we've been following for a while. And um, I'm trying to figure out what the shock is. So, you know it's been like freezing all over the place. Anytime Pastor KL says that in Alabama it was 12 degrees. Well, what in the world would Colorado feel like right about now? Well, they, um, they've got some problems there. They've got some problems here in New York. Well, they say that last week a, a, a ton of um, asylum seekers, as they're calling them this week, the migrants, um, they ended up getting off a bus here in New York. And they say the Latin American migrants in question got to the city late Friday night. So, you know, everybody on a mission here. 
They get late Friday night, two buses from Denver, and they're seeking shelter, right? So the person who kind of welcomes them, this activist, they call him an activist um, for the asylum seekers. When they got off the bus a little before 11 at Port Authority, uh, there were no beds. This is what Pastor Steph says. Surprise, surprise, surprise. This particular um, activist, they focus on hotels and other locations for these asylum seekers. So, see, that was the first problem that I had. You got people welcoming asylum seekers off the bus and your whole goal is to get them set up in the hotels. So all these homeless people been here all this time, they've been worthy of sleeping on the street. They've been worthy of sleeping in the trains, uh, in the trains, uh, the subway system. But yet they're getting off a bus to get in a hotel. So they say that all uh, this, this activists and other volunteers were out there and they had to alert them that we're sorry. <laughs> Everything is full to capacity. And you're going to have to seek placement in the city homeless shelter system. Well, wah, wah, woo, woo. It's occupied. It, did, did anybody check the degrees here lately? I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy if you were homeless. It was so cold. It has been so cold. Especially those few days we had where it was really, really, really cold. Where it was like, it felt like it was zero degrees outside. And now you were responsible for making sure that the homeless here weren't homeless. You better had to open up somebody's hotel and anything else you had to give these people some kind of shelter because people would have literally died here in New York and anywhere else who were homeless at this time. So they sent them to... You know, the homeless shelter. And they say that um, about 52 people were on the two buses that arrived from Denver, including seven children. And uh, they say that the, the volunteers ended up securing placement for three migrant families, and the rest had to seek beds in the shelter system. And your boy, Mayor Adams, uh, he didn't talk about what exactly happened on Friday, but he's now in up in arms. Well, how long was that going to take? Um, because now you didn't, so, so here's, see, here's what pretty much happened. You found beds and homes for the homeless. You didn't take care of your problems. 
and now Denver has sent over two buses. So now you got new homeless people that you would not have had to worry about. And now he's in up in an uproar because he's telling the people in Denver, don't send nobody back here. Don't send nobody, not back here, but don't send anyone here. Who are you to take New York to send these people to? Well, that's because you should open up your mouth before. Ain't no way in the world you going to tell me you the mayor and you ain't got no say. Partner up with your buddy, governor, and make sure you tell her. Shut it down. How in the world? Where's Schumer? I don't understand. You mean to tell me the three people that is in charge of New York cannot protect and hold New York down that any other state can just pick up and just put people on bus, buses and send them here? And you have no say? Because I tell you no lie. I'd have to deal with God because ain't no way in the world. You'd be, when, they got, when they got here, they'd be turned right back around. No, we're sorry. We're sorry. You had Texas doing it, you had this state doing it, and now you've got Denver doing it? No. So he got on the, 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 the talk box, I suppose, and he told the governor um, of Denver not to send anybody else back here, that this was unacceptable. And he was like, y'all didn't even notify us. Well, excuse me, ain't that how they've been doing it? Because that's the way it was perceived before, like, these people just came here. Well, maybe y'all heard something different. But from what I heard, it was just like, they put the people on the bus. We were not notified. And we were left to deal with who got here. Because my thing is, we never had room for anybody. Don't call me crazy. But my thing is, are you saying... Now, because, see, this gives inference that you said, and you didn't even notify us. So are you literally saying that before you did get notification and you all of a sudden put up all these beautiful uh, 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 shelter things and you knew they were coming and you had people here that was homeless and you didn't do that for them? You know, it's shame on you. Shame on you. And that's exactly why they're doing what they're doing. That's exactly why you are not getting any notifications. Because why would I give you notifications? You taking in everybody. You saying you can handle it. You're, listen, you have Rikers Island that is busting at the scene. You don't have any place. Because you what you have not taken the time to coordinate with all these contractors that you got here. Give them some state and city contracts that help them put up buildings and shelters for these people who are homeless here. I ain't talking about the migrants yet. Put up the people who are homeless here. Pay them for their work. The city got money. The state got money. Or go get it from the feds. Stop taking your state. All the property that's empty that we have here in New York, and y'all have done nothing with it. 
had you done something with it, you would have had an opportunity to, to take care of the shelter system. And we do know that there are some people who don't want to go, but that's not everybody's thing. So you would have been able to take care quite a bit. So now, here's the thing. Now, I, I don't know. I got to ask my crew. There's people who they say are fleeing violence and oppression in search of a better life for themselves and their families. You know, they're saying, oh, they deserve our respect, not political gains. Games, I'm sorry, and we're grateful we have been able to assist migrants to reach their final destination. So they're saying that nearly 40,000 asylum seekers have arrived in New York since the spring. Most of them are fleeing violence and poverty in their home countries in hopes of obtaining asylum in the United States. And I'm so lost here. 40,000 people, and we have quadrupled that amount that's homeless here, who's seeking shelter here, helping people at this degree, at this rate, to this degree, at this rate and you still have not solved your own problem here. We have constantly talked about the veterans who have come back, and now they are, you know, mentally disturbed. Now, those are people who are genuinely mentally disturbed. That ain't no game. That ain't something that they're saying. This is something, this is some trauma that took place in their lives. And this PTSD is real for them. What have you done for them? And that's throughout the country. That's throughout this nation. We're not talking about, you know, the world. We're talking about right here. And you have, since spring, we ain't even reached a year yet, and you've taken in 40,000 people, and now you're trying to figure out why we busting at the scenes and we can't take no more here in New York? Well, he claims, Adam is claiming that he's, you know, pressing, you know, Biden for more um, funding, and he's supposedly, President Biden, is supposedly allocating some emergency funding for, the, for for New York to deal with this migrant situation. We should have been getting money for us just because we needed it before this migrant issue started. Because they've been migrating here for a minute. This ain't just, you know, started. Oh, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. I guess we can go around talking about that forever. All right, so you have a very interesting statistic. They're saying that um, the attacks against Christian churches have risen. They say the Family Research Council cited at least 420 acts of hostility against U.S. churches between 
January 18 and September of 22. They say the acts of hostility include vandalism, arson, gun-related incidents, bomb threats, and more. And they probably don't even know some other stuff, you know? Um, They say that the frequency against the churches have increased over the course of, you know, the last five years. They say uh, a certain report notes that um, pro-abortion hostility toward churches um, that's been a trend since the overturn of Roe versus Wade last summer. And um, the FRC, that's that Family Research Council, they are arguing that cr- criminal acts of vandalism against the church, among other forms of attacks, are symptomatic of a collapse in societal reverence and respect for houses of worship and religion. And that's one of the things that we've been talking about here on a few times. They say the most common victims um, are Jews and then Christians. Um, and now they're pointing the finger, particular hate group, and they're saying that the hate group is behind most of these actions and attacks. Now, I don't know, you know, I guess when they do their research, they find out that, you know, this is something that, you know, is going on. They're saying that they're trying to bully the church into doing certain things, um, especially the treatment of the LGBTQ community. And, um, you know, I don't know how well that's going when we just got friends talking about the church is supporting the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um, well, that's the issue. They don't want us to support the LGBTQ community. Um, and now they're saying that this is what we have to contend with because we won't do what they want us to do. Everybody pushes the church around. The church pushes the church around. The world pushes the church around. Everybody pushing the church around. This is nothing new. Nothing at all that's new. Every time you turn around, whoever's got a grievance is with the church. Eh, oh, well. Take it out on the church. Take it out on the church people. Again, you know, we talk about this all the time. You know, there's no respect. So respect is not going to increase necessarily. Respect is going to definitely decrease. So, mm. well, let's talk to our D-Time crew. See what they've got to say. Where's my Pastor Charlotte? Good morning, Pastor Charlotte. Good morning, Pastor Steph. How are you today? <laughs> I am well this morning. I am well. We got some stuff to be talking about. Well, how about this attorney 
who was responsible for prosecuting domestic violence cases who ended up being killed by her own husband. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that story. I came in on Mayor Adams. So tell me a little bit about it. Or... Well, you have this woman who, um, she was an attorney, and she was working her, her whole, you know, mission um, was to help to stop domestic violence. They say that she would have, um, she would be in charge of, like, getting, um, what do you call it, the, the uh, I'm sorry, I want to try to make sure I get the right um, area. Oh, they say that she dealt with the protective orders. She dealt with the justice of the peace orders in courts. She dealt with the mental commitment. And, um, you know, she played a big part in this particular county in getting out in Oklahoma to, you know, continually put people away who were responsible for, you know, crimes regarding domestic violence. And her husband... 58-year-old Jeffrey ended up killing her. She died by, you know, the hands of domestic violence, and it doesn't say that, you know, there was any complaints. It doesn't say that, you know, they had some level of suspicion um, that something was going on, but she never said. They They mentioned nothing in this article about her personal experience, but the, just the fact that they were surprised to find out that she had been murdered by her husband. And I'm like, what a life to live where you're, you know, if, if you were doing, you know, if you were responsible for getting protection orders and, you know, you worked in the justice of the peace courts and, you know, you were committing people into facilities, you know, for being, you know, mentally ill or whatever the case was, you had to see some terminology in in this paperwork or whatever that should have helped you where you knew that you were, you know, going even subliminally, you know, somebody or mildly somebody torturing you or, you know, um, taking you to some level of domestic abuse and here, unfortunately, she ends up losing, losing her own life. What a story. Yes, absolutely. Um, you're helping so many others in trying to um, seek help for them, but in your own life. And this happens a lot with people. You know, we're trying to help them, you know, to get to the place of protection or whatever, you know, but nobody knows your own story. You know, you're going home and and seeking the same abuse, you know, not where the part of you thinking that he will kill you, but just abuse, period, you know, because we know abuse comes in so many ways. And, yes, you wouldn't think that the same person, that you would have your own way out, you know. Um, and like you say, you don't know the whole story of what's going on with with, with them per se, but, you know, just to think of her own um, feelings of 
by her being abused and trying. He probably thought that, you know, she was trying to get away for her own self as well. And he snapped because a lot of times what they do is they're building, you know, because I know they tell you that don't just run and go. You know, you have to make a plan, you know, of the victim. You have to make a plan. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people leave, right, when they go to work, when the, when the person goes to work or, you know, you know that they're going to be out of um, state or whatever. And where that she was probably building, of tr- trying to find a way for her own self. And he probably found out, you know. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, these men, they'll say, and women, I look, let me say that because it's on both sides, that I might not want you, but ain't nobody else. I mean, yeah, I don't want you, but ain't nobody else going to get you. You ain't going to leave mm-hmm. me. And a lot of times mm-hmm. that's where that peace comes in, you know. And by her being able to help others, that triggered him even more, you know, because yeah. of the, the uh, things that she was going to be able to do. And you, And then you think about it, she's in contact with other people, you know, um, mm-hmm. how can I get out? You know, so that plays a lot, too. And see, that's that's my thought. My thought is, if you've got your hands in all of this stuff, then where's the planning? The planning has already happened. While you've helped other people, that's your own getaway plan. And that's why I'm like, I feel so bad that, you know, she did not make it up because we don't know the circumstances. You know, those of us who were in an abusive situation, um, we may not have had a plan, you know, and like you said, we have to now put one together. But if your hand is in all the court system, your hand is in mental committals, then, yo, you got a plan right at your fingertips. So, you know, who knows, you know, what the situation was that she didn't get out herself, you know? Like you said, you know, was she just about to do whatever she needed to do and, you know, he caught up, you know, and, and, you know, that's what he did. And knowing that she had access, you know, to that type of, um, you know, uh, information, um, yeah, I'm going to hurry up and kill you because I know it ain't going to take nothing for a minute for you to get a body here, you know, so it's really a very sad that situation and I agree with you you know a lot of times you know it's a lot of people are living in their own hell working or having their hands involved in that very area um, and they themselves you know are not benefiting from you know anything so uh, I agree with you 100% on that one all right well let me talk to Pastor KL first Let's get this story out the way so we can talk about that other Mayor Adam. Good morning, Pastor KL. Good morning, Pastor Steph. How are you today? I am well, thank you. How are you? I am well, thank you. Well, thank you. That's good. That's good. Well, you've heard this story of this, you know, female attorney who lost her life um, to domestic violence. And she herself uh, was living um, and working and, and, and not able to get out. And she had her hands right in the cookie jar. 
but it just didn't get benefit her. Right. Well, I think that, you know, and even now, a lot of times we are able to give the advice, but we can't mm. take Olivia from We can't take Olivia advice. You know, it, it's, it's so easy to encourage someone else and tell them, you know, mm-hmm. what God says and what I would do and all this stuff and, girl, get out and you don't deserve that. But yet, we are the same people who's living in that. You know, um, again, over the computer, it's easy to say anything you want to say because you're invisible and you're the strongest. But when you have to deal face-to-face with someone, it's not so easy. You know, it's easy to tell people, girl, you need to stop them drugs. Boy, you need to stop drinking. But when you caught up in it, it, it's it's easier said than done. You know, and I think Mm -hmm, she was in a place mm -hmm. where she used her strength to save other folks, but couldn't save her own self. You know, she, Mm. she, 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 she had the plans for the people as if this is what I would do, but didn't have strength for herself to get out of it. Wow, an interesting way of putting it. Interesting way of, of uh, expressing that. Makes every bit of sense, you know. Makes everything to a saying makes every bit of strength, um, sense. Um, I want to come back to something you just said, Pastor KL, about not being able to kind of take our own advice. I'm going to come back to that. And I want to talk about, you know, that in the church folk segment. So please remind me if I kind of lose my way um, that this is something that I want to bring up. All right, so let's talk about your Mayor Adams, about your Mayor Adams. And this whole asylum business where you have allowed 52 new people to get off a bus um, and now they have to be told that they that they have to go and crowd up and finish matching out our shelter system. And now you all twisted because you you didn't ran out of your hotel space, and <laughs> now you have to turn them to the homeless shelters, and now you're pressing for the assistance because, you know, you're angry that they just didn't even consult you and send the people here. Uh, Pastor Sean, let me start with you. I'm sorry, the question again? Just your comment. The last No question. Oh, on the whole thing? Of the people yes. coming? Mm-hmm. Okay. The whole thing. I, I the whole think thing. that, yes, I thought I was going to say. I think that dealing with it, um, you open up, once you open up that door and you just allow people to come in, right, you will, why do I now do I have to ask you? You didn't say nothing before. Mm-hmm. So now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you want to be able to tell me no. It's like children, you know. Once you start letting them have it and continue to give it, why all of a sudden now you're going to tell me no? So I'm not going to listen mm-hmm. to you. I'm just going to allow all these people to come over and to do it. You didn't stop me before, 
So once you tell, you tell, uh, let's say, uh, Texas, now you tell Virginia, now you tell North Carolina, now, you know what I mean? So now everybody just say, you know what? Mm-hmm. Everybody get on the bus and everybody comes to New York because the door is open. But my whole thing is why you're not taking care of the people here. We're supposed to take care of home first before we try to bring in somebody else. You don't have room for the people. I never understood of mm-hmm. why he allowed this. They allowed this to happen because it's, it's a whole group of them. So why y'all allowing this to happen when we are walking over our own? You know, they're outside mm-hmm. sleeping on the ground. You know, and then you we do have, and when you were talking about the veterans, I thought about, too, that they have stuck their neck out, their lives out for us. Why are we not taking better care of them? You know, and you have so many people. Me dealing with the homeless, um, I some of the stories, everybody, we think that everybody don't work, and that's false because some of them have jobs, but the rent was so high or they got stuck in a mental place, you know, and then when they came back, their stuff was out in the street. They, their families trying to get them. So there's so many reasons. So now you're bringing all these people over instead of helping our own. I have a big issue with that. I have a very big issue with that. And then you want to take them and put them in everywhere. Don't do that. You're building all these homes. If there's a crack in between your house and somebody else's house, they're putting, they're building something there. And you know these people can't afford it. So you bring right. these people over to what? To sleep in the street as well? And now you mm. have so many people. There's not an avenue that you will not walk down or in between blocks that they are not homeless people. And I have an issue with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it's amazing, like you said, you know, you have this supposedly affordable housing that's constantly going up. And then when you look at the, the, uh, the, the income requirement, just like, well, who can afford this? If you're, mm-hmm. Isn't it supposed to be affordable housing? So now you're forcing, like you said, people who are working. You know, they end up, instead of in a place that they can be comfortable, a place that they can afford, a place that, you know, they're, they're confident that if they move in, they can now settle in. You've got everybody, you know, on this verge of homelessness. And it's absolutely crazy. So I agree with you, you yeah. know, living here in the city, watching them put up, you know, whatever, you know, buildings and homes and things like that. And it's like not, it's not an, it's not affordable enough. So you're helping more people here, which would possibly allow you to now, you know, take in some, um, you know, some, some asylum seekers. Now here's the thing that I really wanted to talk about today. And I want to, I want to ask a direct question. The terminology is people fleeing violence and oppression in search of a better life for themselves and their families 
Um, and it was another terminology they used. Oh, man, it was another terminology that they used. And I was like, mm, I want to know what you all think about this. But how should we address, you know, this issue of people fleeing violence and oppression in search of a better life? Um, they are coming from violent um, places, um, and now they need to set sail and and land here. What what's your thought about that, Pastor Charlotte? Well, I think that with one of the things that I have been talking about of being able to teach um people how to first learn how how to be able to admit that you have a problem because a lot of times they when you live in it you think that it's it's the right thing to do talking about violence talking about uh mental you know of things that the children are seeing right if we don't sit and have a conversation with the people you don't know their needs right so when we started the feeding and stuff that was one of my issues that i wanted for them to be able to sit and being able to talk like on a one-on-one where that i'm able to find out what is your need what what do you think that caused this problem um, to make you this, right? So a lot of them have said to me, it comes from where they were living, right? So then my thought was, okay, but if you don't know how to do something, it's time for us to be able to take time out and to be able to teach, have the people come in and teach them things that we are take for granted that are simple to us is not simple to everybody else right so my thing is where that if we get the mindset and know the need of the person you know it's not always just popping a pill or whatever some people just need something to be able to vent right so now we take them and we'll be able to teach them how to take care of themselves everybody doesn't know that they have a hygiene problem because I'm so used to smelling me that I don't think I stink. You know, I when's the last time you, you took a shower, but if things are not available to the people, right, then they won't know that they're able to, to have it. And that's where that it goes into other things. People taking drugs for what reason? Where did it come from? And that's the main thing. We got to get to the core of it, of why we do what we do and why we in this place. So if we don't have the tools to be able to share and to be able to help, yes, we can pray. But as we're praying, we need to be able to send the people to the places that they need to go to. And that's where the church we lack as well. We lack as well. Oh, oh it's okay. Johnny do that all the time. No, it's not okay. Let's send him to a place he's able to get some help. We're not psychiatrists, you know, unless you have it in that field. But whatever the needs of the people, that's how we can break the cycle. All righty. Thank you, Pastor Charlotte. 
All right, let me talk to Pastor KL. Pastor KL, you know, there's this issue with America where they have accepted 40,000 asylum seekers since the spring. And they say that most of them are fleeing violence and poverty in their own home country in hopes of obtaining asylum here in the United States. And the terminology that was also used was people fleeing violence and oppression in search of a better life for themselves and their families. Um, How... I'm asking, what's your thought on you going to take in 40,000 people into your country um, because they're living in these type of environments? This is their their country's situation. Do we take them? Do we limit who we take, what we take? Do we leave that an open book? What, I don't know, what, 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 what comes to your mind when you hear these terminologies? And, and this is why we are accepting people from other countries into this country. For us to take well, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is what happens to ministry begins at home. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And when did we become the superheroes? that we had to save everyone but ourselves. You know, those, those are things that, that come to mind. I mean, listen, there's people, and not knocking, who live in the projects who's going through. You know, there, there's people who live in the projects where people are killing each other every day. What's the difference from coming outside and a bullet passing my face or when I hear what seems to be a firecracker or a gunshot, I got to run to the floor, What's the difference in these people who's living there across seas? I mean, we're we dealing with a wall right here in, in, in America, in the United States. But yet we want to save other folks and we won't save ourselves. You know, Pastor Charlton talks about, you know, the homeless folks. You know, what, what's the difference between them living outside and us living outside? So, so, so you know, I, I always say when I, get, when I get into an argument with folks, and they say stuff, and my, my question is always, what makes you better than me? That is okay for you, but it's not okay for me. You know, so again, what makes them better than us? And this is supposed to be our birthright. This is supposed to be where we're from. You won't cover me, but you'll cover the other person. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to say that <clears throat> I agree to the, you know, it's it's it, it, it's a very difficult um, position to take that says, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> We're gonna we got our own issue. However, when you look at the things that have been brought up this morning by the two of you, you know what you just said, also Pastor KL. When you look at the fact that okay, so you accept the asylum seekers. Right? What you going to do with it when you get it here? We still have 
unemployment level. It may not be where it was at one point, but it's still at a level. We do admit, we do have to agree that, you know, some those people from other countries come here and they could put us, I mean, they could wash our face in the fact that they'll do any type of work where we here, you know, we don't want to wash people's feet. No one wash nobody's behind. No one mop a floor. You know, we're too above doing those things. So they will do jobs that we won't do. However, we still, again, have not situated our country. Will it be perfect? Absolutely not. It's going to be perfect. But we can't be accepting up to 40,000 people who are coming here with nothing to offer. You're not even coming here saying, okay, this is what, okay, you take our people, you know, off, you know, uh, give them a better um, life, and here's what we're going to do in exchange. If that's happening, we sure haven't been told about it. So here you got 40,000 people including children who will come over here and get free health care. They'll get free schooling, and now they will overcrowd the schools. I mean, this is, this here, we, we, we haven't even secured a quality level of teachers to even handle the amount of children we have in school. We just got finished talking about the teacher who overdosed right in front of the kids. We, we, we're just in two dire straits um, in order to, to really just carry the, the burden of at least. That's at least, because those are the ones who came here blatantly. We ain't talking about the ones that slide up in here, and we don't really know nothing about that. But the money that's going to have to be invested in these people, you haven't even invested in your own. If you make $5 too much, you don't get food stamps. But they're going to come over here and eat for free. So you, you, you really, and you're paying taxes. They're coming over here for free with their hands empty. So, you know, it, 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 you don't want to say, well, don't let them in. And you know what? Listen, if that's the, I, I agree. You know, it, the, the level of violence may be a little worse than ours, but we're still dealing with our own level of violence. Like you said, Pastor Kale. So I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's this is this is a bad situation to be in. I don't think anybody's sitting down thinking this through. They're just jumping up. And again, I say there's a whole lot of side deals that have gone on that are going on that we don't know nothing about. So, you know, we're gonna suffer. We're gonna suffer for this country's bad decision making and previous moves and what they owe other countries. And, yeah, we're we going to eat them. We're going to eat the, their decisions. All right. You know, I said I wanted to go back and talk about um, something that Pastor Charlene said. Um, I believe it was her who said, you know, you can't, you pretend. You walk around and you pretend that everything is okay, um, and in actuality, you know, you know, and I believe you talked about it too, Pastor Kale. You know, you got to accept yourself while you're living through this hell, um, and you know, you know, you need to encourage others at the same time. 
and I, I want to talk about the church. I want to talk about the, the, the church folk, you know. How is it, why is it that, you know, you can stand on a pulpit and you can have a relationship at home and you're the hellion in your home, but yet you're going to be a leader. You know, the Bible distinctly says, if you can't run your home, how are you running the church? How are we even functioning like this, Pastor uh, Pastor Charlotte? Absolutely. Um, I had thought of that, too. We um, Faith value. Let's do that first. Faith value of a lot of times that when the pastor gets up and, you know, because I've heard people say to me, that no matter what you go through, you know, when I first became a, a preacher and they were saying that you can't allow the people to see um, what you're going through. And I'm like, but we're all in flesh and we're that to the point of if they don't see the um, the realness in you, because I'm, that's me, the realness in you, then how would they know that? we struggle as well because it looks like when you look at it in the pulpit that you have it all together. You know, you, you, you have in this fairy tale life, you know, and then the people don't see. So now they become the same thing. They become transparent, um, that, not transparent. They become fake as well, you know, and where do we show that God is able because if we act like we have it together, then why do we say we need the Lord, right? So in the mix of that, of a lot of times, I've known preacher that husband was abusive to her, but nobody knew it until they got a divorce and how she covered it. And I'm like, but if we're looking at you and we, you know, because if you don't see the abuse, you don't know uh, uh, abuses or anything on the outside, right, or even mental, but you plan it to the fullest. And we all have played uh, some kind of part of we got it together. We all have done that, you know, and we're that, but it eats you up inside. How can I minister to you in my brokenness? I gave you all that for free. <laughs> You know, and so in the mix of that, that's where we, you know, one time I had to preach that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, so why do we do it? Faith value. But you still in the mix. He just beat you or she just beat you and you're in the pulpit looking at, but I'm telling you, that don't let nobody, you know, put their hands on you, you know, take it to the Lord. You know, God already knows that you need to leave. No. Once again, we have to have a safe place where that, that abuse will not go further. Mentally, physically, it doesn't matter. There's so many different abuse. Face value. That's what that is for. Now, Pastor Sean, you know, based on what you said um, and coming into this conversation with my own life and my own stories and, you know, talking to other 
um, clergy and, and things like this, you know, where we, we have to, we, we must go forward um, and, and teach the word of God, um, you know, when we're going through financial struggles or, you know, other struggles, um, you know. However, my, my, my question ultimately becomes, now that you've said all of that, and I'll ask this question to Pastor KL, are we saying that when it gets to the degree of abuse, Isn't it time for a timeout? You know, to, to take walk, take a leave. I, I can't imagine. It's one thing if I'm struggling with my finances and, you know, I'm trying to figure out how the mortgage is going to get paid and, you know, uh, you know how are we going to, you know, do these things. When it comes to abuse, how mm-hmm. do you get up on that pulpit and now you say, you know, do as I say, not as I do? You know, do live, don't live the way I'm living. Isn't it, shouldn't it be a time when we say, okay, you know what, if I'm living in this level of hell where this man or woman is abusing me and I still got to get up in that pulpit and preach, to, to me it's time to sit down and now deal with your life as it is and then, you know, let somebody else take over for a while and then you deal with your issues and when that's taken care of, however God deals with it, then you move back into the pulpit. I mean, I don't know, Pastor Kale, like I said, you know, when we have to do, when the basics are there, when the basic struggle is there, that's one certain degree. Can we really, truly, honestly minister to people Well, okay, so as the abuser, you know, okay, if, if, you're, if you're the abuser, you're already stepped out of the spiritual realm. You're in the natural realm. So, so at this point, you feel that I can preach anything I want to preach. Because remember, I, I'm not tied up in God anymore. Be, because I've already stepped out of the faith, I've already stepped out of the, 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 the will of God, yeah, in, in my mind, I can preach. Because that's what I do. You know, gifts come without repentance. You know, so so in, in that aspect, yeah, like I said, I, I'm so far gone. You know, I can still give a word. And remember, God has used an ass. So God can still use you for the people. Don't mean that you're making it in. You know, <laughs> so so he won't, he won't, he won't tear you down in front of the people sometimes because of the people. Because he don't want to lose the people. But in your mind, again, if you are the abuser, your, your home is already not lined up to the will of God. Therefore, your church can't be lined up to the will of God. So in your mind, you can do anything. You can preach and you think that, 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 that you're still anointed. And you think that, you know, one day, let me, let me just say this story real quick. One day, you know, me and my wife had an argument. We, I can't remember what we was arguing about. And I said, you see, that's the problem. I said, everybody else loves me. They don't care. They love me. They love the way I sing. They love the way I do this. They love it. She said, you know why? I said, why? She said, because they don't live with you. And, and that, that took me back. You know what I mean? Because everybody will sing your praises because they don't live with you. And sometimes they don't see the real you outside of the pulpit. All they see is the preacher you. 
You know, but if, if they see some of these real preachers, the real you, churches wouldn't be full. Well, I mean, you're, you're right as, you know, even with, with uh, Whitehead, you know, I'm not saying the church is full, but even at this point, the church should be empty. Um, you, you're seeing that with, um, with uh, what's the one in um, Maryland who talked about the weed um, business. The following Sunday, I'm scrolling on YouTube and I come across his live and it's saying 5,000 people were live with him. So, you know, it, it shows that even when you are wrong and blatantly wrong, you're still going to have some level of followers, even if they don't know, like you said, your secret life. I remember that's what R. Kelly's wife said about him. They were like, you know, he, he's bragging to her about how everybody loves him and loves his music and Blah, blah, blah. And she said the same thing. And that's because they know R. Kelly. They don't know Robert. You know, so you're absolutely right. You know, there's the, the, the secret life that you're living that no one is exposed to. And so if we erase the individual that we're talking about, you know, that you just got, got finished describing, the one who's, you know, stepped out and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But for those of us who still you know, are are in a certain space where we ain't lost our mind and, you know, thinking all kind of crazy things. But we're just really ministering to people. Can you really minister to someone and somebody's beating you down where you can't take a break? Take step down and take a break and let someone else do what needs to be done. I got all of this where God can use anybody and mm-hmm. He can use anything. I get all of that. But like I said, if you really care about your congregation, do you live in that level of hell? Because there's no way in the world. Tell me you're going to be able to deliver the word of God properly. You can't even read your Bible properly. Charlotte, you, you tell me. Pastor, oh, and, and you're right. Um, I was just, wasn't to the level of what you're saying, but I will definitely say, yes, I can remember where me and my husband had a a thing. And when I got to the church, I was like, I can't focus. I can't focus on this word. I don't want to bleed on the people. Um, because I knew that I was so mad I was mad. I wasn't angry. I was mad. And um, <laughs> and I knew that it, I wasn't going to be able to deliver. So I'm hearing what you're saying. So what, at that time, what I did was I said, I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching. And I'm trying to remember. I don't know if I had already invited somebody, a preacher, to come to the church. But anyway, I had to pass it on. Because I knew the state that I was in, I couldn't function. So you're absolutely right. When we get to a place and we know ourselves, yes, we need to time out, you know, and being able to be ministered to. And that's a lot of also because of the pastor mostly is doing the preachers, unless you have other preachers with you. 
so right so everybody is looking just for you but you have to know that like Pascal says you know you right both of y'all said the same thing you know you you know the real you because of the fact that if you go in through something you have to say okay God I'm gonna step back and I need to bring somebody else in to for the people because I need to be ministered to. And a lot of times we don't get a chance to be ministered to. Even if you go to someone else's service, right, they might call you to come and do something when you just <laughs> wanted to study. Right? You just came, I just came to sit in the back and, you know, don't call my name. You know, and I'm pretty sure y'all y'all experienced that too. Absolutely. Oh, well, I, don't I don't want to sing. I don't want to read the scripture. I don't even want to sit in the pulpit. I just came to get what God has for me today. Let me just be like everybody else and sit here and lift my hands, clap my hands, cry out, whatever I need to do for me. And so I do understand what you're saying. So going back to my situation, what I end up doing the next, um, another time is I said, I'm going to go to somebody else's church who I know the, the pastor, but not to where that I know that he will call me, you know, so let me just put on my glasses, my shades on, put a hat on, sit in the back, you know what I mean? And being able just to enjoy the service, you know, so nobody Absolutely. else knows who I am. in the corner. So I do understand what you're saying, but I was I had took it on on face value because we do there are times when you're going through something and you still got to press forward through it. Absolutely, but when it Absolutely. gets to a place, right? I got you now. I got you. Oh, I forgot. Absolutely. You know, we're talking about, you know, okay, so stepping back and, you know, like you said, you you get to a point. I've I've gotten I've gotten there to service and this had nothing to do with beach. I'm just saying how God would change and we talked about this before. You know, you prepared this uh Pastor Ken I've talked about this before in private as well. You prepared this sermon, blah blah blah, and when you get it to the pulpit the whole thing shifts. I've prepared mm-hmm. the whole service, and I've leaned over to Anika and said, listen, we're going to do a song service today. That shifts the whole thing. Forget about the sermon, forget about this, forget about that. This God is taking me in another direction. So I say that to say, you know, there's always a plan B. It should be. It should be always a plan B. If you've got someone in there who can sing, then you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna defer to you today. I need you to just get, to take us into some level of a song service. Or you know what? I remember my grandmother used to do this. We used to take hymns and break it down. You know, you got this hymn, you got that hymn, or we're gonna take this hymn as a as a congregation. You got this verse, you got this verse, or you got this part of the verse, you got this, and you give your testimony. You know, person. So there's a million things we can do that. Excuse me. If, like Pastor Charlotte said, if 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 you thought you could get, you know, get get that morning accomplished, but yet you realize at that point that you so beat down and beat up that you can't go no further. There's always a plan B that you can that you can defer to. 
Um, you know, so that's why I said, I'm not talking about the little things, you know, where we got to, I'm just tired today. You know, I'm a little weak and worn today. And, you know, the bills didn't beat me down or your kids didn't drove me crazy. You know, we're not talking about that. When you're pushing through, we're talking about how you just need to just turn it off. And so, you know, so Pastor KL, having said what you said, you know, my question still fits with, can you forget about all this God can use anybody. I, I ain't talking about all that. I'm talking about can you see or do you see at this level, you know, it, it, your, your wife was telling you how you were behaving. Now, what if you were in an abusive relationship where she was really, you know, doing some stuff to you and, and, and this is messing with you all the way? Would it be better to just sit down and take a break? I, I think from, from that avenue, yes, it might, it might be better to take that, to sit down and take a break. However, I do know that, that sometimes people minister through hurt or out of hurt. It, it, it's almost like, it's almost like the, um, the woman you were just talking about, the lawyer you were just talking about. You know, so, so sometimes because you're going through, you're speaking to that particular person. You know, in your mind, you know, because this is this is what is bombarding you. Now, if every week we preach it on abuse, then yeah, it's time for you to sit down because you don't have nothing else to give. You know, but sometimes people preach out of hurt, and 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 they, they will use the situation that they're in to help other folks get delivered. Well, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell, I'm as an abused individual, I'm gonna tell you that's only going for so far. You might get through one 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 service, but if that's what you are living in, that ain't happening but once or twice. There's no way in the world you're going to be able to uh, uh, minister out, you know, through your. We're not talking about through hurt. It's because I'm gonna be honest. Most times we're pushing through hurt, especially if you're in leadership. Somebody's hurting you. Something's hurting you. You're always pretty much preaching through some level of hurt. You've always you've got to learn in order to actually function. You're gonna to have to learn how to, to minister through hurt. Because you ain't gonna get around that one because the enemy is always gonna be behind you because it's gonna be targeting the fact that he don't want you up in that in that pulpit. Ministering through hurt. This is not the level. This is not a, a ministering through hurt level. So if you are actually able to get through one hurdle or one over one hurt that ain't that ain't going that ain't going but so far because it that's why you always hear me say you know it, it God gets no glory out of your life like Pastor Sean just got finished describing you know you, ain't no way in the world you stand up at some pulpit and he can just knock you in the head and you all right or he can just beat your heart down and you all right it just it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen on a continual basis. And, you know, um, preaching through hurt, it, to me, is a norm. When I talk to all of you pastors, you know, that's a norm. Because somebody is, because everybody's hurt is different. You know what I'm saying? Somebody may say one thing to you and your feelings is hurt. Somebody may have to say ten things to Pastor Shaw and, and then she's hurt. But ministering through hurt is, is a norm. So you're absolutely right, you know. That's how we get through is just pressing through because I think it was you who said, you know, we encourage 
you know, encouraging others encourages, you know, ourselves. Um, you know, I remember there were stories of, you know, every time he turned around, there was a, the, the cops was at the door. So, Pastor Sean, I'm going to talk about that. How are we preaching to somebody when every Sunday morning, Sabbath morning, the cops are at your door for domestic issues? The cops at your oh, door exactly. every week, but you standing up in a pulpit and you preaching to who? Forget about this preaching through hurt and pain. How, that's freaking phony. Right. I, I wouldn't be able to do that at all. Um, because of the fact, once again, my thing is, you're preaching, right? If you are preaching, the per- the you're the victim. So the person that did it to you, they're sitting there. How are you looking at them? You're not focused. So, no, I wouldn't be able to do that. I would definitely, I would take a leave, period, period. I would have to get somebody else to be able to come and just be able to let, because, once again, I don't want it to, to, as they say, to bleed into the congregation. You wouldn't want that because you're not functioning. You can't function. Every time I turn around, he knocking me upside the head. Well, y'all know that ain't going to happen. But he knocking me upside the head. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, whatever. You know, and, and like you said, just constantly, constantly, constantly. How can you think? How can you... Me being a uh, being a victim from before as well, you know, um, I couldn't function. I couldn't walk down the street. You know, it was like he was jumping out of trees. He was coming out of the building, you know, and I just couldn't function. So for me to be able to be in a place to be able to preach, no way. There's no way that you are functioning. Now you have to be able to as you stated, to deal with your situation. I'm understanding, you know, a little clear because when you put yourself in that predicament, right, you put yourself in there, how can I say for us to love everybody when I'm not loving this person that's beating on me? I'm not loving this person who's abusing me. And then mm. you, and they, they become bold too. Now here you go. They become bold too. So now we in service. There's a break. He come into the office and knock you upside mm-hmm. your head at that part too. Mm-hmm. Or the woman. Let me not just say men. You know, men ain't the only one that's beating on women. Women are beating on men as well. So let me say that. So she called you and he called him in the office and now I'm knocking him upside the head because something that I might have said that he didn't or he didn't like or she didn't like or talk to somebody. So now I'm still being abused because remember it might have started at home, but it becomes That's outside right. going as well. through. That's right. That's and right, you are, right, and, it, and then it goes inside the church. It becomes a norm for him or her. It becomes a norm, and then you say, "Oh, Absolutely. something just fell off the desk. Something just fell off the desk." No, he knocked you, or she knocked you. Across the desk. So it becomes a no, you know how to, well, let me put on my makeup or whatever. So putting you in a level of fear, that intimidation, because they don't all, you know, they, they, they may not even go as far, like you said, as to literally hit you physically, but that, that level of intimidation, how many times have we seen, even in a movie, Pastor Charlotte, where you go out and, you know, the two of you are out together, 
and he threatening you in, in secret. You know what I'm saying? Or she's saying, no, wait till I get you home. That kind of stuff. It's like, you know, that mind, that mind game, that, that, that torturing that's going on. You know, you're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, this stuff is, is happening to the degree, Pastor KL. So I'm going to ask you, the cops are always at your door. Every week, they're at your door. How are you honestly preaching to somebody? I don't want to hear nothing about God can use anybody. We've been past that. How are we preaching to people and our lives are in such chaos? Well, well let me say this first. I, I, I want to thank the two of you, actually, because I, I'm being... I'm being educated. I'm seeing stuff in, in, in a different light that I, you know, I've never been through abuse. I've never had abusive people in my life, friends and stuff like that. So, you know, as you guys are, 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 are speaking, it, it's really, I guess, broadening my horizon, you know. But but I would say, no, if, if you're being abused uh, on a daily basis and the cops are already always there, that's a mental anguish, I would say. There is no way in the world I, I could speak or preach to the people. Listen, at that point, I can't speak or encourage myself, let alone encourage mm-hmm. anybody else. I'm I'm already downtrodden. I'm already, you know, I, I'm already beat, you know, mentally, spiritually. We're not even talking physically because that's already in the aspect. So, no, I, I wouldn't be able to, to, to preach to anybody. In, in fact, in fact, I would just stay home. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I would find myself so secluded that, that I, I probably wouldn't go around the people for fear that they would see what I'm going through. Oh, you know, and, you know, it, it, unfortunately, people can mask this stuff very well. And, you know, they think that pressing their way is, um, is beneficial to the people. I want to read a comment that I just got, and I want you to comment on this, the two of you, please. Um, it says, it has everything to do with pride. Pride says, I'm a pastor. I can't sit down. Pastor K.L., I'll give you an opportunity to respond to what you think um, that means or what it could mean. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that to me, it means, listen, you know, God has called me, and I can't let these people see me. You know, there's, there's a commercial that says, never let them see you sweat. I can't let them see you sweat. Mm-hmm. I, I, I got to make them believe that I'm always on my A game, no matter what it looks like. And as you just said, you know, people are able to mask this thing. So I got to figure out how to mask this thing so it doesn't look. What, whatever the makeup is, and, and I'm not talking about the actual makeup, but whatever the makeup is that I need to put on me, I need to put it on me so that no one can see my hurt on the inside. I got to still be able to be the Superman that my congregation thinks that I am. How dare they believe that I'm anything less than what I, what I have already projected to them. So, yeah, my, my pride won't allow me to sit down because my pride says I can, I can still do this thing. I got this thing. It, it, it won't take me down. It may kill me in the house, but on the outside it won't. Mm, okay. Pastor Charlotte, what does that, that statement say to you? If someone's walking around with that mentality. Thought of is I'm not going to let you see that my weakness. That was when, as you was reading it, when you finished, that's the first thing that came of my weakness. Um, 
pride, first of all, we know God don't like pride. So mm-hmm. even in the mix of being said that when we're there, we're making, it, it, to me, it's like you're making yourself a robot. And I always say, and I'll stick to this forever, that let the people know that you are human too. And we cannot become, we're not Superman. We ain't flying. Can't fly nowhere. You know, we we can't take on the whole world on our shoulders by ourselves. It takes a whole congregation. It takes us as the, the body of Christ. It takes us as the kingdom, whatever word you want to use, that it takes all of us, you know, to come together and to be able to be strong. You one of the things that, especially as leaders, you always should have somebody else that you're able to talk to. Because leaders have different languages. We have where that we can't sit and, and talk to the congregants and where that they're able to understand what we're going through. Because they don't. They don't understand that. So you have to be able to find somebody that you're able to sit and talk to where that you're able to seek help from to get your strength and for us not to be on that pride. We cannot do that. We can't just stand, no, sat down, sat it down and go to God and (laughs) let God direct you where you need to go and who you need to talk to. That's the only way we're going to make it. And that's why so many preachers are giving up, meaning suicide. They're giving up because of the pressure. They don't want the people to know this. They don't want their family, their spouses. How many preachers, um, um, let's say pastors, not preachers, pastors don't even share with their wives of what they're going through, period. Prideful. Uh-huh. All right, so Pastor Charlene, while you're there, you know, we've been doing this a little bit more um, in, in the more recent weeks. Encourage, speak to don't tell me what you're going to tell them. Speak to, you know, that pastor who might be listening or who may listen later, you know, you're going through some level of abuse. You know, what the pride factor could possibly mean. What do you want to say to that leader today? I will say to you, don't get yourself in a place of the pride overtake you. I would say also, I would want you to, as I just stated, find that person where that you are able, let God lead you. Because sometimes we think it could be one person, and that's who God don't want you to share with. Um, but find, ask the Lord how you can, who should you go to? to seek some help from. Sometimes I am a big fan of therapy. I'm a big fan of therapy. Um, Find you a Christian therapist where you're able to sit and be able to vent because they will not, they don't know you, and they're able to hear what you're going through and give you tools to be able to help you. Um, I would want you to not only to go to them, and if you have a spouse that, depending on what it is, 
you know, of, of what you're feeling. Don't say I'm good and you really not. You might not want to share with them at that moment, but let them help you seek some help. Don't just think that you have the whole world that you have to carry, that you must be able to do it all by yourself. We can't. We can't. With the Lord's help, with uh, therapy, with able to seek your own um, thoughts, you know, put them under subjection because the enemy, and I'm telling you from experience, the enemy will play tricks in your mind and have you thinking things that is really not true. So you have to be able to seek that help and know that God loves you so much that he still gives us time for us to get it right, still giving us time for us to be able to be able to minister to yourself. Because sometimes you have to, the word tells us to encourage ourselves, well, you have to minister to you. And know that God is with you and he'll be able to help you through it. And when you come out of it, what a testimony that you will have, that you'll be able to help someone else. Because remember, what we go through is for us to help somebody else along the way after we come up out of it. And we'll be able to share our story. So I encourage you to seek some help. And don't get in the pulpit. Be able to take time out. It doesn't mean anything. You can always have that opportunity to say, call in someone else to be able to minister, because right now I need to be ministered to. So always remember that. Thank you, Pastor Charlene. Amen, amen, amen. Pastor KL, what are you telling our leaders today, you know, uh, uh, while we're talking about, you know, listen, (laughs) We know you want to encourage, you know, uh, people, however, or, you know, just how we minister to people through, you know, this, this domestic uh, issue. Um, what, what, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? Well, well, in order for you to encourage anybody, you, you, you have to be, you have to be together. In order for you to help me, you have to help yourself. Position to heal thyself. You, you, you have to be on level playing. You know, pride has, has always been the, the downfall to man, has always been the destruction to man. And, and don't allow your pride to not allow you to get help, to not allow you to seek help. You know, and, and it's okay, even as a man, it's okay to, to need help. You know, sometimes we don't want to ask for help because of our pride or, or what it might look like or what it might appear to, 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 to be. You know, but you can't, God can't effectively use you if you're distraught, if you're broken. You know, he can still use you. However, he can't effectively use you. You know, you have to be well put together to talk to broken people. You know, broken people talking to broken people still adds up to broken people. You know, so, so you have to be, you have to be together in order to help put the pieces back together in somebody else's life. If you're still fumbling for the pieces, how can you find the right pieces for somebody else? So get yourself together mm. so that you can help somebody else. Mm. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Charlene and Pastor Kale, for your contribution into today's conversation. 
And we pray that you have a blessed day. You all do the same. Thank you, you thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm about to read a benediction, but let's hold hands and hold hearts. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for even just waking us up today to see a brand new day with brand new possibilities, with brand new tender mercies, Lord. And right now we're going to take the time to lift up uh, our clergy. We know that the task that has been set before them, God, um, is, is, is a hefty one. When we answer your call to lead your people, dear Heavenly Father, sometimes it's trying, sometimes it's tired, you know, sometimes we get, you know, weak and weary, God. It doesn't mean that our lives will uh, always be in a perfected manner. It doesn't mean that our children will always act right. It doesn't mean that our spouses will always act right. It doesn't mean the congregants will always act right. The people at the job will always act right. Our mother and father will always act right. The sister and brother will always act right. The neighbors will always act right, God. We, we have no control over what everyone else does, but we surely have control over what we do, dear Heavenly Father. And Lord, we're, we're lifting up the clergy today, God, to help them understand that we are not superheroes, that we are not robotic, that we are made of flesh and blood, and that it takes every bit of your strength to do what it is that we do, God, that we do grow weak and weary at times, dear Heavenly Father, just from life, just from basic life, God. But we thank you, dear Heavenly Father, because you've always, always got your arms wide open that says, you know, come to me, all who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. All who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And God, even... Sometimes when we bring it to you and we leave it there, it's, it takes a minute. It takes a minute for us to get ourselves back together, for us to push forward. And we thank you for allowing us and helping us to encourage ourselves, you know, so that we can encourage someone. But Lord, we're, we're, we're praying for those who do have that uh, prideful spirit that says, I can't. I can't sit down. I can't take a break. You know, the show can't go on without me. And, Lord, if you were to close our eyes today or tomorrow, the show would go on without us. So we ask you to just help us to understand that there are times when we need to take a break. And even in that allowance, if you were to allow that to happen, there may be something that you're trying to get us to focus on. So in order for us to do that, we could not continue to press forward. We would need to step down and take a break so we could hear from you differently. Because if we're always in the forefront and if we're always talking and if we're always ministering to Heavenly Father, we can't hear from you, right? We can't hear from you properly. We can't hear from you the same way. But sometimes, God, it's, it's, it's that quiet moment. So, Lord, we're asking you, to teach us who are in this position 
to know how to get to that quiet moment, that quiet and, and safe place, that hiding place. And Lord, we're asking you to deal with your congregants, God, that they don't put everything out there, that they don't bleed all over the clergy, that the word that's given from the pulpit, that the encouraging word that's given on the phone, that the word that's given in Bible study, that somebody's picking up on something so that their lives would be improved. Because you, you can't be at the same place, God, day one and, and day ten. You just can't, God. So everybody needs to move. And we're asking you that you help us all move and that we hear from you or when we hear from you, we act accordingly. When we hear from you, we move accordingly because your word will always come through. Your spirit is never going to leave us walking around, twiddling our thumbs, scratching our heads, trying to figure out how to make it happen. But it's perfect. It's sovereign. It is carrying out everything you set it out to do. So we thank you, God, for just having that spirit from you that dictates what we do. And we would not do anything to quench it. We would not be moving in our way left or right or standing still when we need to be moving or moving when we need to be standing still, God. So with all that Pastor KL has said, all that Pastor Charlene has said, Lord, we pray that everyone would listen and understand that we all play a role in this life, in the life of the clergy members. And we pray, God, that you open up more of an understanding where pride could be moved out the way more of an understanding where we as clergy understand that we need one another because as Pastor Charlotte said, there's a, there's a love language there. There's a love language that we can only share amongst ourselves. That we can't bleed all over the people as Pastor K.O. said. We, we can't lay everything on the people and now we're of no use to them. So Lord, we're asking that you just give that balancing that balancing act, that perfect balance, that not that we would be perfect, but that we would be so into you that we would be carrying out everything so that it all would get done in its proper order. There are going to be some times we're going to, we're going to be on the lower end of the scale as clergy, and you're going to have to pick us up because if you weren't there to pick us up and we could do it ourselves, we would need you. So you have to allow us to fall a little bit. So we're grateful, God, for this conversation today because somebody is benefiting from it. Somebody is learning something. Someone is considering something that they never thought of before. Well, we don't want to uh, uh, be the preachers and never the learners as the woman who was in you know, she's helping all these lives, but yet her own life was lost. We can't afford to be like that. We cannot afford to be like that in this arena. 
So that's why I'm asking you guys to help us today to learn how to balance it all, both congregants as well as clergy. And when the two work as hand in a glove, then your kingdom will be serviced properly. We thank you for your investment again today into each and every one of our lives. And as people listen, they will also be blessed. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ah, giving God thanks for this conversation today. And, um, you know, God is always timely. He's always on the ball. He never misses a beat. I remember I was talking on Japan years ago, quite a few years ago, and I said to her, I said, I feel so drained, and she said something to the effect of, well, you, oh, I, felt, I said I felt so empty. And she said something to the effect of, well, if God never empties you, how could he fill you up again? And I was like, wow, bring spit them bars in Japan. Never, never thinking about it like that. You know, because when you feel drained, you just drain. That's all you know is like, dang, I feel so empty. And when you get to the point of feeling empty, you know, there's a feeling that you get like, you can't do much, you can't do anything, or where do you go from here, or I hear it, this is a common conversation. You know, when I talk to others, you know, it's like, boy, I feel so empty, I'm so drained, you're dragging now because you have nothing. But when she said that, I was like, that makes every bit of it. Because you can't fill up a well if the well is always full. So the well has got to be empty, and when God fills that well back up, well... <laughs> and I've carried that with me carried that with me so when I get to the point where I feel empty I understand that you know God's got to empty that pit he's got to empty that well so that he can fill you back up so that you can now maneuver much better than you did before mm. so keep that in mind even as a congregate, keep that in mind. You've been listening to It's Due Time with Pastor Steph. Join us Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. where we discuss matters of the heart, mind, and spirit. As you go through your day, be sure to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. They will only serve as a distraction. Remember, prayer changes things. Is Pastor Steph signing off. And I want to thank my due time crew for always coming through big time. Thank you for hanging out with us and participating in the conversation today. Please do not miss this opportunity to give Christ your life right now. Or miss this opportunity to strengthen that relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I know you have accepted Christ, but there might be something still missing. So come on, grab on to God and get us and strengthen and build who, on who you already are. Later is not promised to any of us. Until tomorrow, God spares where it's well Wednesday. Until then, I love you.